question for you all. How do you tend to deal with fear? Let's be honest. There are plenty of things to be afraid of in this world. Cancer. Car accidents. COVID-19. Job loss or getting a new job. Social situations. Difficult conversations. War. Riots. A stock market crash. Tornadoes. Public speaking. (laughs) There's no lack of things to be afraid of. So I'll ask my question one more time. How do you tend to deal with fear? And now I'd like to ask a second question. How do you feel like you should deal with fear? What is an appropriate, godly response to the things that make you afraid? That's the question I would like to ask this morning using our text in Luke chapter 8 as a guide. So if you will, please open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22 and going through 25. In the ESV, this section is titled, Jesus Calms a Storm. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that even winds and water? Oh, sorry. And that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now, this passage is recorded here in Luke but also in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And I'll be using these two other Gospels today to help give us some clarity for understanding the text. All three accounts give nearly the same narrative. First, Jesus is asleep in a boat. Second of all, a storm comes upon them. The disciples are afraid. They wake up Jesus, crying out for help. Jesus calms the storm asks his disciples, where's their faith? And the disciples wonder in astonishment, who is this that commands even the wind and the waves? When we look at this passage, I actually want to start with what might be an obvious observation, which is, there really is a storm. The text says that the boat was filling with water and they were in danger. It is also important to remember that these weren't just anybody's sailing in the boat. They were experienced sailors. Many of the disciples that Jesus chose had been fishermen before following Jesus. 
They understood how to handle a boat, and they knew how to deal with the wind and the rain and probably many common perils of being at sea. So the disciples were probably not exaggerating or being overly dramatic by concluding that they were perishing. They seriously thought they were going to die. So what did they do in their fright? Well, they did what we would probably tell them to do. They went to Jesus and cried out, Master, Master, we are perishing. And in the Matthew account, we read that the disciples also pleaded, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now at this point, I must say, my natural reaction would be to commend the disciples. There's obviously a large risk to their lives that they are facing. And they are taking their problem to Jesus. And it seems they're being obedient to what the Lord commands in Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So from my perspective, I would have thought that the disciples were doing everything right up to this point. And because of that, Jesus' response surprises me. Jesus doesn't say to them, Well done, boys. When the storms of life come upon you, call upon me and I shall rescue you. Like, that's more of what I would have expected him to say. But Jesus often doesn't respond as we would expect. So how does Jesus respond to the disciples? He doesn't praise them, but rather he seems to rebuke them. Jesus says to his disciples, Where is your faith? As if they should have responded to the storm differently. And that's interesting to me. And I wondered about that a lot when I was preparing for this message. Because honestly, it doesn't seem fair. What did the disciples do wrong? There was a life-threatening storm surrounding them, and they went to Jesus. What was Jesus looking for them to do? What would it have looked like for Jesus to say, Wow, you have great faith. Before I go on into what I believe Jesus is teaching here, I want to take a few minutes to quickly explore what I think would be an improper conclusion. And that being, if the disciples had had faith, they should have been able to calm the storm by themselves. If they truly had faith, then they could have let Jesus asleep and dealt with the problem themselves. Is that the proper conclusion to this text? Now, this may seem like a ridiculous conclusion, but Jesus often did say some pretty extreme things. He taught that if we had faith like a mustard seed, we should be able to throw mountains into the oceans and that nothing would be impossible for us. And these are verses that I wrestle with because they seem to say that we should have an almost superhero-like power if we have faith. So, is the lesson of this passage that if we have faith, we should be able to make the storms of life go away? I don't think so. 
And why is that? Well, answering this could take probably an entire sermon in itself, or possibly many. But I will argue by the fact that the rest of the Bible doesn't seem to follow this conclusion. For example, in Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul is also stuck in a boat in a great storm. Paul was one of the greatest men of faith in human history. He healed people all the time, and he did amazing miracles for God. Yet, he didn't reach out his hand and command that the storm be calm. Instead, he was shipwrecked. And according to 2 Corinthians 11.25, he was shipwrecked three times. Now, where was this guy's faith? If anyone should have had the faith to command the weather to change, it was Jesus. Or, sorry, it would have been Paul. For another example, we see in Acts chapter 11, a prophet predicted a severe famine that would come over the whole Roman world. In that situation, did the disciples command the sky to give rain and for the crops to grow? No. It says that the disciples, as each was able, provided for those in need and sent them a gift. In this case, their faith did not change the weather, but instead it resulted in action. So Jesus is not telling his followers that with faith they can become weather changers. Now truly, miraculous works have been done by faith. This is recorded in the Bible and is a great question to wrestle with for what does that mean for us today? But I think the Bible is clear that faith does not turn us into superheroes who obtain magical powers to change the weather. Now, for some of you, this may seem like an odd point to stress, but this belief is alive and well in the world. There are many people who believe that true faith means we should be able to do miracles like Jesus did. And if we don't do them, that means we don't have faith. We must have discernment. This is why it is so important to know our Bibles, because isolated passages can be so hard to interpret on their own. We need to know the full counsel of the Lord. Okay, so if that's not what Jesus was getting at, what did he mean by asking, where is your faith? Well, the Gospel of Luke doesn't give us too many clues or information about what the disciples did wrong, except for their lack of faith. But both Matthew and Mark give us a little, ex little extra information to help us understand Jesus' question. In those accounts, Jesus adds, Why are you so afraid? And I believe that this is key to understanding the question of what the disciples did wrong. Jesus was not rebuking them for coming to him for help. No, he was rebuking the disciples for their fearful reaction to the storm. The disciples' fear demonstrated that they did not fully trust in God. Their fear showed that they lacked faith. This is why Jesus responded by, say, by asking, where is your faith? So we see from Jesus' two questions, where is your faith, 
and why are you so afraid that there is a connection between faith and fear. It is actually an inverse relationship. The implication is that as faith goes up, fear goes down. And as faith faith goes down, fear goes up. So after that long introduction, the big point that I want to make today is simply this. Do not fear, but have faith. Do not fear, but have faith. Now I realize that this is very simplistic. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking that one sentence. And I'll do so through going through the following three questions. First, who or what are we to have faith in? It is no help to simply have a generic faith that has no object. What are we to have faith in? Number two, how are fear and faith related? In other words, how exactly does faith help us conquer fear? And thirdly, what does faith in the midst of fear look like? This is the practical question for us. When incredibly scary things come at us in life, how are we to respond? And I think answering these three questions will give us a greater understanding of this passage as well as help us answer the question I asked in my introduction. How should we deal with fear? So question number one, who or what are we to have faith in? Well, let's look again in our passage in Luke. After Jesus calms the storm and rebukes his disciples, what does it say? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now the disciples had just seen perhaps the most amazing thing in their lives up to that point although we can't be exactly sure because Jesus did amazing things pretty regularly. But the disciples probably still had their mouths hanging wide open. They were in wonder, and they said to one another, who on earth could this be who commands the weather to change? Now the answer to the disciples' question may sound obvious to us who have heard many times that Jesus is God, But let's try to think about it like we were a first-century disciple. What would they have thought? Well, these disciples probably knew their Bibles pretty well, which for them was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament clearly states who it is that commands the weather. So let's look at a few of the Psalms to make this point. First Psalm is the one we read earlier, Psalm 89. O Lord God of hosts, Who is mighty as you are, O Lord? With your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 65. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. And the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas the one who by his strength established the mountains, 
being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 107, verses 25 and 29. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. From these three passages, as well as others, the disciples would have been well-educated that the one who controls the weather is God alone. And now, right there in the very boat with them was the man who was directing the weather like an orchestra conductor. Can you imagine what the disciples must have been feeling and thinking? Really, can you imagine being in a boat with someone who just, with the sound of his voice, made an entire raging storm become still instantly? It is no wonder that it says that the disciples were afraid after Jesus had spoken. This man was showing the power to do what, what only God can do. This man, Jesus, by his works, was giving us a clue to his true nature. Because Jesus was not just a man, but was the very image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He was Emmanuel, God with us. So the answer to our first question, who are we to have faith in? We are to have faith in God the Father and God the Son, the one who is not able to just calm a storm, but who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who can do all things. And that leads us to our second question. How are fear and faith related? When the disciples were in the boat and the storm was crashing upon them, why were they afraid? Now, you could answer this by saying they were afraid because they thought that they could die. And that is true. They did think that they could die. They cried out to God, cried out to Jesus, we are perishing. But I want to know what was underneath that belief? It's not just that they thought they could die, but that they believed that their lives were in the hands of the storm. They were afraid because when they looked at the wind and the waves, they thought the storm was in control and they were enslaved to the will of the storm. See, fear is largely about control. And we humans really like to have control. And most of the time, we feel like we do have control over our lives. I have control over where I go. I have control over what I do. It feels good and secure to be in control. Even unbelievers feel secure when they feel like their life is in control. However, problems arise when that control is taken away from us. That is where fear is able to develop. To illustrate this, let's consider that most people feel in control and secure when they drive a car. You turn the wheel left, 
and the car goes left. You press the brakes, and the car slows down. But the moment you hit a patch of ice and begin spinning against your will, terror rises up in you because you realize that you are out of control. You no longer control your own destiny. The laws of physics and friction and ice and the car next to you now control your own destiny. And that is a scary situation to be in. We fear because we lose control. And the problem is, we lose control all the time. We lose control when we're laid off due to the economy. We lose control when there is a blizzard and the power goes out. We lose control when our bodies get sick. We lose control because other people behave in ways that we can't control. We lose control when there is a global pandemic of an unprecedented disease that has infected millions around the world. We lose control, so we become afraid. So we naturally fight to gain control. We eat right and we exercise to gain control of our health. We save up a lot of money to have control of our finances. We buy big trucks to have control over the blizzard. We read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People to have control over people. And we wear masks and stay away from people to have control over the coronavirus. And these things are not necessarily bad or sinful in themselves. It's, it's not wrong to try to maintain safety and stability in our lives by taking practical measures. That's normal. But there is a dangerous temptation that comes from trying to maintain complete control. And that is the temptation to place our ultimate faith in protective measures and things instead of God. Sin comes when we place our ultimate faith in our healthy eating to keep us well. Or sin comes when our ultimate faith is in our job to provide money to pay our bills. Or our faith in the government to maintain justice. Or in social distancing to keep us healthy. When we put something in the place where only God deserves to be, this is called idolatry. For none of these efforts will ever give us ultimate control. So they should never be the source of our ultimate peace. Despite our best efforts, death will come for everyone. Unexpected changes will come to everyone. None of our idols will ever give us complete control. So fear believes that the storm is in control. And idolatry believes that we can obtain control ourselves. But faith believes that God is in control. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Faith <laughs> believes that God is in control. He is the one who reigns sovereign over everything. Everything. There's not a movement on earth that God is not sovereign over. As we read in the Psalms earlier, it is God who rules the raging sea. 
He commands that they rise, and he commands that they be still. Jesus showed us that in the boat. And he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, whereas yet there was none of them. Isaiah 45.7 I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Lamentations 3.37 Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it? Amos 3.6 Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Daniel 2.21 he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus is in control. So when the storms of life come upon us, and when we see news reports that COVID-19 or its variants are causing mayhem throughout the world, we know that it is in God's control. When we see political unrest and riots and violence, we know that God is in control. And when we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we know that God is in control. Do not fear, but have faith. But now I'd like to ask our third question. What does faith in the midst of fear look like? Now, I think this is an important practical question to consider. Even if we know the truths about God that were just read, it can be confusing. What does it look like to believe them? Does faith in Jesus mean that I should have no emotional reaction to the terrors of life. If my wife were to get cancer, or my son were to go off to war in a foreign country, how do I practically respond in faith? I certainly don't want to give the impression that having faith means that we become emotional stoics. Or that the holy response to heavy problems is to be unaffected by them. I believe that would be a great misunderstanding of what it looks like to not be afraid and to have faith. And the example I've used to illustrate this is Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you may remember, Jesus knew that his time had come to be beaten, mocked, tortured, and killed. The Bible says he was sorrowful and troubled. He was in agony to the point of death. He was so troubled, he was sweating blood. And he pleaded multiple times to his father to keep him from what was about to come. It looked a lot to me 
like Jesus was afraid. Yet Jesus had faith. When Jesus lamented in the garden, he saw the horrors of what was to come, and his body convulsed. He grieved and sweat and cried out to God in agony, but he was not conquered by his sorrow. He was not a slave to his circumstances. In the midst of terror, he was able to speak the words, Not my will, but yours be done. He entrusted himself to his father's goodwill. He knew that his father was in control and loving and all-powerful. And with that faith, Jesus rose and went willingly to the cross. He felt the weight of his situation, but was not controlled by it. Jesus walked by faith. By faith, Jesus was obedient. And I believe that is what faith in the midst of fear looks like. Obedience. From Jesus' example, we see that it is not ungodly to be sorrowful. It is not sinful to lament or cry or to have a physical reaction to some terrible thing that is about to happen. It's not even bad to beg to the Lord to change our circumstances. Our emotions are not the problem. We were created with a capacity for strong emotions, for we are made in the image of a God who feels things very strongly. But let us not be controlled by our emotions in faithless fear. When great difficulties come, let us not fall into hopelessness or bitterness or become paralyzed in fear as if the world is in chaos and it is the storm that reigns almighty because the storm is not in control. The only power that the storm has is that which it is granted to it from God. Jesus realized this when he stood before Pilate at his trial before being condemned to death. It looked as if darkness reigned and that Pilate was in control. But Jesus said to him, You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. Again, at his darkest hour, Jesus had faith. Despite everything looking to the contrary, Jesus had faith. Jesus knew who is ultimately in control. And in his suffering, he obeyed his heavenly Father. Do not fear, but have faith. All right, I would like to recap the three questions that I asked earlier. Number one, who or what are we to have faith in? We have faith in God and Jesus Christ the incarnate image of God in man. Number two, how are faith and fear related? Fear is the belief that the storms of life are in control, and faith is belief that God is in control. And thirdly, what does faith in the midst of fear look like? Faith does not mean that we are emotionally unaffected by trouble but rather it means in the faith, face of trouble, 
Through faith, we are obedient to God. So if you've just learned that a person you love has received a terminal diagnosis, it's okay to be devastated. You have permission to feel the full weightiness of that pain. And if you hear of wars or you feel threatened, it's not wrong to grieve what is happening and to cry out to God for help. But regardless of the storms that you go through, don't lose faith. Remember who it is who controls the storm. Remember who it is who controls all things. Remember that the one who existed before time began, who stretched out the heavens and formed the lands, the one who breathed life into existence, and the one who knows every one of our days completely, the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will, remember that he is merciful. Remember that he is kind. Remember that he did not remain detached in heaven, but became one of us. He loved us to the point of dying an excruciating death, for which he lamented and he sweat blood, but he went in obedience so that we could be justified, so that we could have eternal life. Remember that he loves you, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Remember these things, and in that faith, remain steadfast in obedience. Love him and love one another. Let's pray. God, Lord, we can't fathom who you are. Lord, you are a mighty and amazing and faithful God who is in control of all things. So why should we fear? Help us to trust you. Forgive us when we don't trust you. And thank you for your mercy and love and kindness and care to us. Amen.